0: And if you have a Bible with you, please turn to Luke chapter 1. Or open your Bible app. Luke chapter 1. Kids, teens, you can grab an outline. It's got blanks you can fill in. Or take a few notes. Or just listen along if you prefer that. That's fine. We want you to benefit from God's Word during this time, please. Last week we began a series that we're calling Songs of Christmas, we are seeing some of the songs of praise that surrounded the birth of Christ that we might enter into that praise ourselves this Christmas. Today we're going to see the the song, the hymn of praise that is often called the Benedictus. I'd like to pray for the Holy Spirit's help and then Mindy's going to read our passage. Holy Spirit, do open the eyes of our hearts, we ask you. Minister, your word to us, we pray, that we might leave here affected and changed for your glory. We ask you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Mindy's going to read, beginning in verse 57.
1: Good morning. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, And his father, Zachariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the land of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. May it be blessed.
0: Thank you, Mindy. Through this passage, God invites you and me into a journey, a journey into praise. Whomever you are, whatever your week was like, whatever you think about Christ and Christmas, you're invited into a journey into joy, a trip into praise. Let me explain. The angel was astounded. He'd been sent to a priest named Zechariah. Zechariah had been given the privilege of entering the temple, and the angel showed up there unannounced, surprising Zechariah, and saying, though you folks are well past childbearing years, your wife Elizabeth will bear a son. You're going to be a daddy, old man. And he shall call his name John. Your son will prepare the way for the Messiah. He will prepare the way for the long-awaited deliverer a son who will point to the Messiah. And Zechariah responds with great faith, of course, whatever God says will happen. It's not what he says. He says, how shall I know this? We're too old to have children. In other words, ain't gonna happen. Look, if an angel shows up to you later on today, don't say that to him. Ain't gonna happen. And then one of my favorite lines in the Bible, the angel replies, "I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I'm I'm that Gabriel. Do you realize who's talking to you? I am Gabriel. Do you know where I just left? I just left the presence of God with a message from God for you. You respond like that? You can have to learn a lesson. You're going to be unable to speak until these things come to pass. Unbelief comes out of your mouth. No more words out of your mouth until it happens. So Zechariah comes out of the temple unable to speak and maybe unable to hear as well. Elizabeth does conceive, gives birth to this promised son, And then there is an interesting debate about what the boy should be named. Neighbors and relatives are over, and they say, call him Zechariah after his father. That's what we do here. He'll be Zechariah Junior. Elizabeth says, no, he's going to be called John. Neighbors and relatives can't quite understand this, and they use some kind of sign language to communicate with Zechariah perhaps indicating that he can't hear or speak. Zechariah asks for a writing tablet and writes, John, underline it, John is his name. The name Gabriel gave to him in the temple. We know him as John the Baptist. With that, now Zechariah can speak again, and the first thing he does is burst into praise. That's the journey you're invited to take this morning in God's inspired Word. A Christmas journey from struggling doubt and perplexed confusion to joy filled faith and praise. Don't you need that journey this morning? Don't you? Unbelief festers in all of our hearts. Doubts cloud our vision of Christ in his glory. Troubles, trials, and difficulties obscure our reasons to praise. And yet, here we find in this hymn of praise, here we find Christmas truths that can fuel our praise. Christmas truths that could be summed up with two words. Promised mercy promised mercy. I want you to take those two words home with you today. Promised mercy. Here we find that Christmas calls us to praise for God's promised mercy. That's the destination of our journey with Zechariah this morning. Christmas calls us to praise for God's promised mercy in Christ. Let's see... Both of those, in turn, the promise part and then the mercy part. They do overlap, but let's see promise and then let's see mercy first. Praise, praise for God's promised deliverance. Praise for God's promised deliverance. Look at verse 67, please. Verse 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. We know this hymn as the Benedictus for the Latin of translated, translating blessed. Blessed be or praise be the Lord God of Israel. It's joy-filled praise of God, a hymn of praise to God. But why? How many of you seen have seen some of the Back to the Future movies? I think it became a whole series of movies. I only recall the first one. There are a few hands that went up and perplexed young people looking at me. Okay, watch it later. I think it's pretty clean. I recall the first one. A crazy scientist has a DeLorean. And kids, back in the day, that was a pretty cool car. And the scientist rigs his DeLorean to time travel. Well, Zechariah here straps us into his own DeLorean for some time travel. He takes us on a ride in his own time machine and takes us back first a thousand years before Zechariah lives. So to 1000 BC and a guy named David. Verse 68 continues. Look at it please. For he has visited and redeemed his people and, notice, raised up a horn of salvation. That means a salvation of power, a powerful salvation for us. Notice, in the house of his servant David, great King David, and his house there, his house refers to his dynasty, his ancestral line. You see, God promised David that he would have a king from his line reigning before God forever. It's called the Davidic covenant, God's promise, God's promise of a forever king, you might say, from David's line. A king from David reigning forever. Zechariah travels back in time to that, at this point, thousand-year-old promise. And so it is now coming to pass, referring to this Messiah born at Christmas. And then Zechariah gets back in his DeLorean and travels another thousand years into the past beyond that to around 2,000 B.C. and a guy named Abraham. Look at verse 72. <clears throat> verse 72, to show the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember His holy covenant. To remember His holy covenant, the oath that He swore to our father, Abraham. God's holy covenant, the oath He swore to Abraham when God called Abraham, perhaps out of His own moon worship, saying to Abraham, Look, buddy, I'm going to give you a land, I'm going to make you a people, and through you bring blessing to all peoples, all families, all nations of the earth. Zechariah is now praising God for the fullness of that promise coming to pass as well. God's plan for his people in all nations. The people Israel, he would bless all peoples, all nations, all families of the earth. Zechariah's perspective has changed quite a bit in these nine months of silence, wouldn't you say? He's been thinking rather deeply on God's promises. It's quite a journey he's been on. He's now taking God at his word and praising him for these promises that he sees coming to pass in the birth of the Messiah. But you might say, you should say to that perhaps, well, so what? Maybe kids or teenagers are saying that right now. Okay, so what? Well, notice why Zechariah is praising for these promises coming to pass. Notice purpose. Notice the so what. Verse 71 that, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Again, verse 74 that, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies. For both stops in his DeLorean, Zechariah says God's purpose is to save or to deliver, to deliver from enemies. It's like he's saying the Messiah's arrival means warfare and victory. Enemies vanquished and we can serve God freely in verse 74. Now it's helpful to remember Zechariah is prophesying In a time of oppression. The Romans have conquered his people Israel. The Romans are ruling the land. So Zechariah might have the Romans on the brain, especially. But what he's praising God for is just as true today. The child born at Christmas has come to reign forever as king. Vanquishing all enemies, as God promised David. And this king will bring blessing to all peoples, all nations, all families of the earth, as God promised Abraham. So Christmas, catch this, Christmas promises deliverance for all of God's people over all of God's enemies. Let me say that again. Christmas promises deliverance for all of God's people over all of God's enemies. That means one day, sin, sickness, and Satan are vanquished. That means one day, healing for this broken world, peace for our pain-filled world, and cause for us to praise today. Is that part of your, your worldview, your, your outlook on life? Is that part of your outlook on the present and, and the future? That the one born at Christmas has come to achieve this inevitable victory and bring blessing to all peoples of the earth. The New York Times had an interesting comment related to the discovery and spread of the new Omicron variant, which I'm sure you've heard of. It said the following quote, The public reaction to new COVID-19 variants has followed a familiar cycle. People tend to assume the worst about what's going to happen. People tend to assume the worst about what's going to happen. I'm not minimizing the pandemic, but I read that and I thought, isn't that how I tend to assume through life? Isn't that how we tend to live life? Assuming the worst is going to happen. And bad things do happen, to be sure. Evil things are done, to be Sure, but Christmas says here, look on the long-term horizon as well. This king has been born to be victorious. Christmas says Christ will crush all his enemies. Jesus wins. Christmas says people from every nation will be assembled, his church, and we will be caught up in his victory. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're in the midst of trials or troubles, or you're downcast about the state of the nation or the state of this world, if life just feels like it's out of control for you, if you feel like you're barely hanging on, look you're looking for some kind of eject button, you wish you had a parachute because you're convinced this whole plane is going down, please hear this. You no longer have to assume the worst. Because long term, Long-term, Christmas tells you how the story ends. Yes, it's often hard now, but in the end, Christ wins. Christ conquers. Christ defeats all his enemies, and he sweeps up all of his people into his victory. Christmas calls you to look ahead, and so join Zechariah in praise. There's praise here for God's promised deliverance. And yet there's even more for which to praise. More about what God does for us personally. More about what this means for us personally. So second, we see the mercy piece. Second, we see praise for God's merciful salvation. Praise for God's merciful, merciful salvation. Zechariah, at this point in his hymn of praise, he makes a turn. He goes from praising God for his visitation to speaking of the role of his son and how his son will prepare the way for the Messiah. Look now to verse 76 and see the turn. Verse 76. And you, and you child. You see the transition? And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways. Now, there had not been a prophet in Israel for centuries But now we find John would be such a prophet, the last prophet before the Messiah, the one who goes before the Messiah to prepare the way. How does he do that? Well, he prepares the way by doing what it says in verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation, knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sin. John prepared the way with a message of salvation about the forgiveness of sins. But I have to wonder. I just was pondering a little bit this week that 9 months of silence for Zechariah. Maybe it was a welcome break for Elizabeth. I don't know. Maybe she was glad he couldn't talk for a while. I'm not sure. But Zechariah did some thinking. Zechariah was studying his Bible very obviously. He was thinking about God's covenant to David, God's covenant with Abraham. And I wonder here, I wonder if he began then to think about the prophet Jeremiah and what he called a new covenant. For there God says, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. You know, there are so many of my own sins I wish I could forget. There are so many things I remember that I have done that I regret. I imagine you can relate. I'm sure there are things you remember that you wish you could forget. Times you wish you could go back and change what you did, but you cannot. And yet God says through Jeremiah, I choose not to remember your sins. None of them. Isn't that amazing? I will not remember them. Your debt is paid in full. Your slate wiped clean before me the record of your sins, erased the DVD of what you did, thrown into the ocean, and I'm not taking it out. Not because of you, but because of Him, the One born at Christmas, the Messiah. And notice why this forgiveness of sins is possible. Notice why this message of salvation is proclaimed. Verse 78, because, here's why, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us, visit us from on high. You know, mercy is a main theme in Luke chapter 1 i believe it appears 5 times including our text earlier in verse 72 here because of god's tender mercy or you could say his affectionate mercy his compassionate affectionate mercy out of his affection for you he forgives your sins are you aware of that god's affection his tender mercy brings forgiveness like a sunrise, verse 78 says. What kind of sunrise? Read on, verse 79. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to vivid metaphor, in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of Peace. Verse 79 gives us a very bleak picture, one that we all experience at some point. All of us at one time sit in darkness and in the shadow, the shadow of death, as if there were a skyscraper next to us towering over us, blocking out the sunshine, and all we know is shadow. We just live our lives in the shadow of hopelessness and despair and death. And maybe, maybe you're feeling that shadow right now. Maybe you're a Christian, but you're grieving some loss. You're thinking of loved ones, and Christmas is such a hard season without them. Or maybe, maybe you're acknowledging that you're not yet right with God and you're living in that darkness and under that shadow of death yourself. Listen, this is saying, in Christmas, the light of the world is born. In Christmas, light invades your life to guide you into peace. You see, John prepared the way, but Jesus is the way. Keep that straight. John prepared the way, but Jesus Christ is that way, such that Christmas is not just about Jesus as a little cute baby in a manger surrounded by farm animals. No, Christmas is about God himself taking our our humanity to deal with our rebellion, The God-man dealing with our sin, such that he might guide us into peace and bring us to himself. You see, the baby, friends, grew up. He lived a perfect life, then gave his life on a Roman cross. But as he hung there on that cross, he bore the guilt and shame and sins of all who will believe. The judgment we deserve was poured out on him that we might be forgiven by God's tender mercy. Justice was served against us. Wrath was satisfied for all who believe that you might know his affectionate mercy right now in this park. Then he rose from the grave, conquering death, conquering the grave. For all who believe the shadow of death is vanquished, that skyscraper blocking the sun, demolished. Death is now just the doorway to life for you. And all of this, because of mercy, as Daryl Bach put it, one word, mercy, characterizes the entire plan here. One word, mercy, characterizes all I just said. And friends, the more you live aware of that mercy, the more you'll praise. The more I live aware of that mercy, that tender mercy, the more I will praise. So think about this with me. Imagine, imagine a best-selling author approaches you later today wanting to write your life story and he asks you or she asks you what do you want to title your life story what title would you use how would you title your own life story see what i have earned look at what i accomplished look at how well i raised my kids look at how generous i was with my money at how hard I worked at my job. Look at how successful I was in my career. Or would the title of your book be An Object of God's Tender Mercy in Christ? To use another uh, movie illustration, there's a sense in in which we are all like what happens in the movie Hunt for Red October. In that movie, they are using sonar to hunt for a new Russian submarine. So they're out in the ocean, trying to track a very, very quiet new Russian submarine. They're using a sonar program that was written for seismic purposes, for earthquakes. And in the movie, this program, it hears or picks up the Russian sub but doesn't realize it. It thinks of it as a seismic anomaly, some kind of small earthquake. So the sonar operator says to the captain, I think when the computer gets confused, it kind of runs back to mama. He says it, it reverts back to its original programming. It says, earthquake, seismic anomaly. And that's what happens with you and me. Every day, we're going to revert back to our original mistaken programming. Every day, we revert back to living by my merit instead of His mercy. And so I don't praise. That's how it is for me every day. I recently felt like some things had not gone the way I desired, which I know is, that's just like welcome to life, Tab, right? Some things hadn't gone as I had desired. I spent a few days in what I would describe as a mopey anger in my heart, an angry moping. Can you relate? I think, looking back, that my reverting was to something like, I think I deserve better than this. I've been faithful. I've done my part. This this shouldn't happen to me. I deserve for my life to be easier because of X, Y, and Z. I was reverting back to my merit, not his mercy. I had forgotten mercy. I was reverting back to merit. Can't you relate to that? And then we don't praise like Zechariah here. Friends, for those times, take the advice of C.S. Lewis, who wrote in his brilliant little book, Mere Christianity, the following. If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to get wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must, get, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. You track with him? If you want joy, power, peace, life, you must get into or get close to the thing, the person that has them, Jesus, the one born at Christmas. To Warm your affections. You must stay near the fire of Jesus, the one born at Christmas. If you want to be wet, as it were, you must soak in the fountain named Jesus, the one born at Christmas. And you must, friend, you must stay particularly close to the fire, the fountain, the place of mercy, the cross of Jesus Christ. You must stay especially close to Christ crucified. That means this Christmas, don't leave the baby in the manger. Our culture is not threatened by Christmas because it's just a cute baby in a manger. Don't, don't leave him in the manger. Remember that his birth led to his perfect life. His perfect life led to his substitutionary sacrifice for forgiveness of your sins and that his sacrifice led to his resurrection to abolish the shadow of death and he will return for all of his people for he will reign forever. Friends, stay close to that flame and so warm your affections of praise. Stay close to the place of mercy. Meditate on it Think on it and pray. Pray for the Spirit's work to warm your heart again and again. Pray, pray that as you stay close to that place of mercy, the Holy Spirit would set your heart aflame again and again and again because Christmas calls us. It calls us to praise. To praise God for His promised mercy in Christ. Let's pray for the Holy Spirit's help to that end right now. If you've yet to believe on Jesus Christ, would you even take this moment, I urge you, to cry out to Him. To turn to Him right now. To turn from going your own way to living your own life and surrender to Christ, as it were, to hope only in His life, death, and resurrection to bring you to God, to forgive your sins, and He will. For all of us, ask the Holy Spirit to take you again close to that flame, to soak again in that fountain where you find joy, power, peace, and life. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for Zechariah's guided journey into praise. We pray, Spirit of God, as you filled him, you would similarly fill us even now. And warm our affections at the fire of mercy. Tender mercy that brings forgiveness of our sins. Tender mercy that chooses to not remember our sins against us any longer. Tender mercy that clothes us in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Would you grant us fresh praise because of your promised mercy in Jesus? And we ask you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's very appropriate for us to celebrate Christmas by taking the Lord's Supper, wouldn't you say? I hope you're making that connection. So with those who are going to serve us the Lord's Supper, please prepare to do so.